All right. Thank you, young people, for participating this morning. Appreciate your presence with us today. You may be dismissed quietly. Let me share a couple prayer requests with you while we're about to come into our time of the message this morning. Let's continue to pray for Sue Hatch. And Sue had surgery again this week, you'll remember, on Tuesday. And uh, she's healing a little bit slowly, but we are glad for progress. Continue to pray for her and pain management especially. And uh, I know that they'd appreciate that so much. Let's remember Brother Rick Rust. And Brother Rick grew up here at the church and um, has esophageal cancer. And uh, they said if you're going to get this type of cancer, he got the, the best kind, if that means anything. Uh, but it's got a better success rate with treatment. So let's pray for Rick as he goes through this battle. And then Karen Biggs is having surgery on the 29th. Brother Norm told me this morning, so we're glad to hear that perhaps she'll get some relief for what's been ailing her for the last few years now. And uh, continue to pray for them. For Karen, on the 29th, she will have surgery, all right? Let's turn to our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, we'll pray for all those in just a moment. Luke chapter 19. And good to see some faces with us today, our guests in our, home, our church this morning. Glad that you're here. I, uh, during the Sunday school hour, I typically are in my office and I'm going over my notes and praying a little bit. And I, I decided to look up a few other churches and see what was going on in other places today. And, and uh, some are still doing parking lot services and things like that. I didn't actually see a church that was inside their building having a, a regular church service. So I'm thankful to God that he's allowed us to be here today and, and uh, that we can gather. And I'm thankful for those who have been ill lately and now they're back in church today. We're thankful to see you and it's so good to see that God has touched your bodies and healed you and we give him praise for that today. But I'm just, I'm just glad. When I, when I saw that, I was so glad that I got to go to church and sing with God's people and lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's so important to me and I hope it's important to you that we would worship him together. You know, the... Uh, I would have loved to have been on that hillside when the angels burst out singing. And uh, we, we watched uh, a video on Friday night, the Christmas experience, and that one angel was catatonic, or, the, or sorry, the one shepherd was catatonic, wasn't he? He just kind of laid there. And I think maybe I would have too, but I would have loved to have heard the music. I'd have loved to hear that saying, I like music. And uh, wouldn't it be something? But you know, the house of God, we can sing glory to God in the highest as well. And we ought to. We ought to sing with all our hearts and sing praise to our God. Luke chapter 19 this morning, our theme for this month has been come. And a little different, last week we looked at the reason, or sorry, the recipients of this invitation. The Lord Jesus Christ came, but he also said to us, come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, whosoever will come. He promises in Revelation chapter 22, we can take of the water of life freely. And so we have that invitation that has been extended to us because Jesus came, we can come to him. I want to just reinforce in your minds today that Jesus' coming was not enough. And boy, that, that almost sounds heretical. And I don't, I don't mean it to be. But so many people believe, well, Jesus came and he died for our sins, and so we're all fine and we're all on our way to heaven. But that is a universal salvation idea. The Bible says that we must come to him. And whosoever shall come to him, he shall in no wise cast out. He is ready to receive you today, but we have to acknowledge that we're lost, that we're sinners and that we're in need of a Savior. And that's what's wrong with a lot of the world today. They just can't see that they need Jesus. They don't realize that they, what the Bible says, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death, that there's a penalty. But God paid that price when he sent his son and allowed him to die on the cross. 
I'll just leave you with this question before I get into the message this morning. If there was some other way we could be saved, why would God let his son die? The answer, obviously, is there isn't. We must come through Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. I want to thank Elford and Ursula today. They filled half our church up right here. They brought all their family, kids, grandkids, and I appreciate that. That's, that's a blessing. Anytime somebody comes back to hear me twice, uh, the second time, that's a blessing. Amen. And so I'm so thankful. You brought all your family, and it's good to see your family together, isn't it? It's wonderful. I know that it brings great joy to you folks as well. I want you to get to know this family. Alfred and Ursula have been coming for a while now. Just great folks. Love the Lord. And I want you to get to know them. Just sweet, sweet people. And uh, I, I think all their kids and grandkids would agree with that. Amen. So let's look at the Bible this morning. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. It's an, again an odd place to turn at Christmas time, but we see a great, great story here of a fellow by the name of Zacchaeus. How many of you remember Zacchaeus from Sunday school? A wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And so we're going to look at that story this morning, Luke chapter 19. The story of Zacchaeus is a wonderful example of Christ seeking people. Jesus Christ came, and it says in verse 10, to seek and to save that which was lost. And so let's look at the word of God today, and then we'll have a word of prayer for these folks we mentioned a moment ago, and we'll ask God to bless our time in his word. The Bible says, and Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press because he was of little stature. He ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, here, here's sometimes what we're like. They all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. You know, sometimes I, I look at that and I wonder, will salvation ever come to that home? Can Christ save that drug addict? Can Christ save that alcoholic? Can Christ change the lives of those? And I remember on a, on a, when, a Thursday night a couple of years ago, driving home on the Simcoe bus, and we were over on uh, Talbot Street, and we were dropping some kids off. And when we just pulled up around the corner, there were several police cars taking the parents out to jail. We were brokenhearted for those kids. And we wonder sometimes, can God ever save them? But can I tell you this? Put yourself in the place of Zacchaeus this morning. Christ saved you. We were sinners just like everybody else. And Christ died on the cross to pay the price for your sin just like he did Zacchaeus. And the Bible says in verse 7, when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with the man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house. For so much as he is also a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, 
for allowing us to gather today and to sing your praises and to worship your holy name. We do praise you and thank you that you sent your son to pay the price for our sins. Lord, our souls were lost and in need of a savior and Jesus Christ came to seek that which was lost. Lord, we also know that when you sent your son, you sent the great physician. Lord, we pray that he would touch these that we mentioned today. We think of Sue in the hospital has been there for quite a while now, several weeks, several surgeries, several treatments, many doctors. And Lord, I pray the word that she would find that comfort and that peace in the one doctor who can help her the most, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you touch her and heal her. And Lord, though the doctors have been given us to help, we know that you alone must receive all the glory and credit for any healing that takes place. So Father, we pray that you touch her, be with Mike and Sharon and comfort their hearts during this difficult time. Lord, we pray for Mrs. Bakes, who's having surgery on the 29th. We're so glad that perhaps this will be a help to her and a remedy to the problems that she's facing. But we pray that you give her grace, touch her body, and help her to recover quickly. I pray that the touch of the Lord would, would bring her back to a full health and strength. Be with Brother Norm as he ministers to her needs. And we do pray for Brother Russ today. Many know him uh, from growing up here at Bethel. And we pray, Lord, that as he battles this cancer, we pray that you would, again, touch him, give him wisdom, give the doctors wisdom on the many decisions that must be made. And we pray, Lord, that you'd raise him back to health and strength very soon. So bless us now in the time of your word. We pray that you would help me. I need your help. I surrender and ask for your spirit's filling. And Lord, we ask that you'd help each one of us. And if there one be here today, that maybe knows a lot about God, has been faithful to church all these years, but has never simply asked Jesus to save them from their sins, that they would put faith in him today, that it would become a personal relationship with Christ, not a church relationship, not a name that goes behind ours, not something we add to a pedigree, but instead a very personal, knowledgeable, intimate relationship with the Savior of this world who came to die, to live, and to save us. So, Father, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 19, we find the story of a tax collector. I guess that kind of ties into Christmas, doesn't, because there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. It was taxing that caused Mary and Joseph to have to leave Nazareth, the area of Galilee, and travel all the way down to Bethlehem where she would give birth to this child. Some 30-some years later, the Lord Jesus Christ would come into another taxation. Be a man by the name of Zacchaeus who was living in Jericho. And the Bible says that the Lord was going to pass by that way, and this man was searching. And I don't believe it was a casual uh, uh, curiosity that would satisfy himself, but instead there was something that caused him to move. Perhaps he had heard of the many that he had healed and those that he had helped. By this time in the Lord's ministry, people were beginning to throng him. And as he came into town, people were excited and they wanted to see him many because they had personal needs in their life. And we don't know the personal needs of Zacchaeus. It doesn't say he needed to be healed. It doesn't say that he had suffered the loss of anybody and he needed comfort. The Bible doesn't say that that there was any extraordinary thing going on in his life that he would seek help. He didn't need financial assistance. He was a rich man. As a matter of fact, he said, I'm able to give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've wronged anybody by false accusation, I will repay them fourfold. And so it seems that he was a man of means. 
but he was very low as far as the Jews were concerned. Because here was a man, a Hebrew, a Jew, that was working on behalf of the Romans to help oppress his own people. Certainly it was a lucrative job, but it was not a respected job living there in Jericho. And so that day when the Lord Jesus Christ came, there was something in his heart that said, get up and go see him. The Bible says he was small of stature. That's just being kind. He was short. Vertically challenged, if you will. I guess we're all politically correct today. And so he ran, and the Bible says he climbed up into a sycamore tree because he wanted to see the Lord that was passing that way. But as we read the story, we watch as the Lord Jesus Christ extends an invitation to him. He says, come. Come down from that place, Zacchaeus, and today I will abide at your house. What an invitation. Can I suggest to you today that the Lord gives us each that same invitation? The Bible says in John chapter 15, if he abides in us and we abide in him, we can ask what you will and it shall be given unto you. We sing a song, we haven't sang it in a long time, but called Constantly Abiding. Constantly abiding. Paul writes to the Philippians and his theme for the Philippians is abiding in joy. Abiding in joy. Abiding in Christ. As the author Andrew Murray would call his book, that it is a constant daily walk with God that allows us to live in him and him and us and we abide in him. And Zacchaeus received this invitation today. I will abide at your house. Salvation is going to come to your home, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was so touched by the presence of the Lord in his home, that we see a change take place in his life. They say, oh, but I don't read a typical salvation story here. I don't believe where he is upset and grieving over his sinful state and cries out to the Lord in a prayer. And understand this, salvation is not a prayer. Salvation is faith in your heart. And the Lord Jesus Christ could see into Zacchaeus' life and he knew that he was repenting because he was turning away from all of his sin. He says, I want to give this, this riches I've gained to the poor, and I want to pay back those that I have wronged and falsely accused. And the Lord, I believe with a smile on his face, said, today is salvation come to this house. And then in verse 10, he answers a rhetorical question that everybody's asking. Some even voice it, we see in the scriptures. Why is Jesus going to sit down with sinners? The Bible says that Jesus was gluttonous in a wine-bibber. But when the Bible says it, it's recording the criticism of man. The Bible says that he would spend his days with sinners, and I'm so glad he did, because I'm one of them. Lord Jesus Christ reached into that home. And as if he's answering the question, why would you come and sit down in Zacchaeus' house? Why this, this man who we consider to be the most wicked man in Jericho? Because Jesus said this, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. At that very moment that Zacchaeus was saved, several things took place. I'd like to look at a few of them today, and I want you to understand what this invitation really means. 
When the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth and invited us to come to him, invited us to take partake of his salvation that was provided because of his grace, the gift that he would give, what does it really mean? In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, the apostle Peter writes this, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but as long suffering, he's patient to us. Not willing, listen, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You say, what does that word repentance mean? I I could preach a whole message on just what repentance is, but can I just sum it up this way and leave it with you this morning? God wants to change your life. He wants to take what used to be and give you a new life in Christ. That's repentance. To turn away from the old and to seek the new. To throw away all those things you're trusting in to get you to heaven and to trust only in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That's true repentance. And that's what Zacchaeus did. That day he believed in Jesus and trusted in him. But what does this invitation mean? We talked last week about the recipient's of the invitation, but I want to share with you this morning the reason for the invitation. Why does Christ call us? Number one, it's an invitation to be redeemed. An invitation to be redeemed. Notice what the Lord says to Zacchaeus, when, when Zacchaeus was saved, several things would happen all at once, and he says this, he says, today is salvation Come to this house. The word redemption appears many times in the Bible. In Galatians 4 we read, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, listen, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14 says, Who gave himself, talking about Jesus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. And purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 says, One day we will all stand in heaven, those that are redeemed, those that are saved. And it says this, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. The word redeem means to buy back that which was lost. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, but he knew that it would cost him something. He knew from the moment that he laid aside his glory of heaven and and, and interjected himself into a sinful world that it would cost him his life. The Bible says all the way back in John chapter 3, you all know the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and we knew that that would conclude at the cross of Calvary. That Christ came, he was given by his father, that we might have eternal life because he paid the price for our sins. Listen, when Adam and Eve sinned, something was lost. They lost fellowship with God. They were put out of the garden. They lost the blessings of God. They lost the very provisions of God. Sin had put them in a very lost estate. But now the Bible says that Christ has come to redeem us, to purchase us back. We become slaves to this world and slaves to our own sinful lives. But Christ has paid the price. He come to redeem you, to set you free. The Bible says that when we are in the Son, we are free Indeed. 
because we have life everlasting. You know, it's funny today how a lot of people say, well, you Christians, boy, you're in bondage. I've never been so free. I've never had life like this before I was saved. You say, oh, but Christianity, it's just a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts. It's not at all. There's, There's only one thing. It says, the just shall live by their faith. That's it. You say, well, what about uh, a preacher every week? You get up there and you put on a suit and tie. I choose to. Nobody makes me. I believe I'm representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I stand in the pulpit each week and open up God's holy word. And I believe that there should be a certain dignity about that. And it's not because God ever said, put on a suit and tie. Well, preacher, you're at church all the time. You're married to that place. I like being in church. I enjoy the fellowship of God's people. I love music and singing. You ask my wife, every Saturday and Sunday morning, I get up and I put on the, some music. And music plays all morning in our house. And we'll read and go over my message or I'll be working on another message or whatever. Love. But it's not the same as coming to the house of God. Hearing the choir and getting people singing together worshiping together. You say, why? Because we're a redeemed people. We've experienced redemption. We've been purchased back. It is the song of the free to know Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says that the song of the redeemed in Revelation is a new song that the world cannot sing. They don't understand it. Think about what they sing about. Have Have you ever been in a place where they got country music playing? Almost every country song talks about booze. You ever notice that? That's real bondage. That's real bondage. Going out every weekend and wasting all your money on that kind of living. Wondering where your next paycheck is coming from because you spent it all on the weekend. That's bondage. I'm free. And I will sing the song of the redeemed. Redemption has come to this house. Notice some things with me this morning. First of all, we notice in Ephesians chapter 1. Would you turn there this morning? You can keep your finger there in Luke chapter 19. We'll pop back in there. But Ephesians chapter 1, notice first of all what it means to be redeemed. And the Bible says in verse 1, and you have, or sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. Chapter 1, verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. How many of you are glad for that? According to the riches of his grace. Here's what we notice about redemption. First of all, it's a purchase. It's a purchase. In whom we have redemption through his blood. I've been telling you this morning that redemption costs something. Oh, salvation is free for those who will call upon the name of the Lord, but for our Savior, it cost him his blood. We are redeemed by a purchase of blood. So we see a purchase, but we also see a price. And that price is his blood. Can I tell you this morning? That means if you're sitting here this morning or if you're out in Simcoe or anywhere in in the world today, you have value to God. God loves you. You say, what about that guy downtown that's all strung out on drugs and he's, God loves him. Sent his son for him. Paid the price for his sins. Just like he did yours. We ought to be out real careful not to get on our high horse, not to get all self-righteous because the same blood that was shed for his sins were shed for yours. 
The same Savior that died on a cross because we were guilty is the same Savior that died for him. There was a purchase made and the price that was paid was through his blood, but we see a part in the forgiveness of sins. I'm so thankful today that we can be made clean because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word pardon means the putting away of as if it never happened. When you truly go to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask forgiveness, you never have to worry about him again. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. A lot of illustrations in the Bible, what the Lord does with them, he removes them as far as the east is from the west. He buries them in the depths of the sea. And your sins and his iniquities I will remember no more. Isn't that something for an almighty God who never forgets a thing to say, I'm not going to remember your sins any longer. No longer held to your account because Jesus Christ paid it all. They were paid for. It was a purchase made. The price was his blood. And we see that we receive a pardon by putting our faith in him. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. The invitation that he extends today, first is an invitation to be redeemed. But number two, I want you to notice is an invitation to be restored. An invitation to be restored. When Jesus came to the house of Zacchaeus, something changed. They say, what was it? He became a new creature in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Listen to this. Here's the definition of new from Thayer's Greek lexicon. Here's what I learned. The word new appears many times in the Bible. Lots of times. But with this tense, it's used only one time. That doesn't surprise me, though, that when God is talking about new life in Christ, he wants it to be very specific. The word 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the word new means this, all things are new. That's not exactly earth-shaking, but listen to the rest. Previously non-existent, and as a result, things begin to be far different from what they were before. It's a new lease on life. You are a new man. Behold, all things are passed away and and all things are become new. The Bible likes to taking off an old coat and putting on a new coat. It's fresh. It's clean. We've been washed clean by the blood of the lamb. Listen, we were all born sinners. We have never experienced what it is like to be what God has intended us to be until we trust in Jesus Christ and restores us. He makes us new. You know, I think of that, when I think of the word restore, I think about taking something old and remaking it, remodeling it. I remember when our kids were born, I got an old high chair that was my high chair. And I refurbished it all, redid the chrome on it and put all new, uh, upholstered it, put new padding in, all that stuff, did all that. I wanted to restore something that was old. Somebody had... There was a, a, a grocery store where I worked, and, and there was a dumpster behind the store, and somebody came and put a little tricycle behind that store. They wanted to put it in the dumpster, and I think somebody scared them off. So they left this little tricycle, and I thought, I can fix that up. And I took it home and sanded it down, and I painted it and got it all ready. And my kids rode that little, I wanted to restore something. But that's not what this word means. He's not taking your old man and just cleaning it up. 
He's giving you a completely new man. Old things are passed away. He's dead. The Bible puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, and you hath he quickened who were dead. Now you're made alive because of what Jesus Christ has done. So he's come. It's an invitation to be restored. We are restored to life. Ephesians 2.1, I just read to you, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. You're restored to new life and restored by love. Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherein he hath loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Listen, if you ever wondered, does God love me? He sent his son to die on a cross. Not because Jesus ever did anything wrong, but because he loves you and pays the price for your sins. It's an invitation to be redeemed. It's an invitation to be restored. It's a gift of grace. But I want you to notice the last thing this morning. It's an invitation to be reconciled. You see, once you have new life in Christ, and, and understand with Zacchaeus, all those things happened all at once. He was made whole. He was made new. He was saved. He was now a child of God. He had been washed of his sins. He had new life in Christ. But now he could be reconciled to God. See, Jesus said in verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And what we lost was fellowship with God. We were outside of his covenant now. Adam and Eve symbolically were put out of the garden to show what that lost estate might look like. They no longer walked and talked in the cool of the garden with God just like they did before. It had changed. But the Lord Jesus Christ came and reconciled us to God. Sin cost so much, but the most damaging was our relationship with God. But Jesus came to reconcile. He was restored. He was given new life and reconciled to God. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Listen to this. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. I, I just want to stop there. We'll read the rest. But I want you to think about this. First of all, we have a bridge through the Savior. We have a bridge through the Savior. Notice what it says in verse 13. Just read it with me again. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. He has brought us back into that relationship with God. Because we are washed of our sins and our sins have been laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ and we are new creatures in Christ, we've been restored, we now can be reconciled to God. He's given us back that which we have lost through Jesus Christ. Then we notice that there was a broken separator. There was a partition that was taken down. There was something that kept us from God. And it says in verse 14, for he is our peace who hath made both one. You know what a peace is? That, that is somebody that comes between two opposing forces. The Bible says we were at enmity with God. We were the enemies of God. But Christ is our peace who has brought us together. He has reconciled us. 
And notice what he says as we read on to verse 14. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. There was something keeping us apart. He hath abolished in verse 15 in his flesh the enmity, that which was opposed, opposing us to God. He's abolished it. Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man. Soul making peace that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross having slain the enmity thereby listen when you came to the Lord Jesus Christ and accepted him as your savior a lot of things took place a lot of things we won't even talk about this morning but perhaps the most important is you were gaining access back to God now you could again go boldly into the throne room of grace as it teaches us in Hebrews chapter 4 because we come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are his children. We are purchased by his blood. We have been reconciled. We have been restored. We have been redeemed. And that gives us access to God. The separation has been removed. Then we see in verse 19, as a result, there's a blessing that's been secured. Look at verse 18 first. For through him, Jesus Christ, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. You say, who is both? It's talking about the Jew and the Gentile. Those who are sometimes afar off, that's you, outside of the covenant of God, but we've been made nigh by the blood of Christ. And he's made us, Jew and Gentile, one out of two, that we both might be reconciled to God. That's what Christ accomplished. That's what he wants to do in your life today is bring you back into a relationship with God, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Let me ask you today, friend, have you had that experience as Zacchaeus had? Has there been a time in your life where the Lord Jesus Christ came into your life in a very personal way? I'm not talking about I go to church, I'm religious, I read a Bible. No, I'm talking, have you a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you put your faith in him and has he transformed your life? If the Lord were to come to your home this afternoon, like he did Zacchaeus some 2,000 years ago, would he be able to say salvation has come to this house? It's a matter of examining our own hearts. And asking ourselves, have I truly repented of my sin? Have I asked Jesus to be my Savior? Have I been forgiven? You say, well, how, how, how does that all take place? You just simply have to ask in faith, believing that nothing else can save me but Jesus Christ alone. And by reaching out to him and putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he will save you by his grace. That means it's a gift, something we do not deserve. But he'll extend it unto us. He doesn't have to do anything else because everything is already done. He shed his blood. He paid the price. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. We'll stand to our feet. Brother Daniel is going to come and play a song of invitation. I'm not going to call out anybody's name, and I promise you I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I don't want you to think that that's what this is about. I just want to pray for you today. You may choose to do something quietly in your heart, and that's fine. But is there somebody that would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I, I, I stand here today just not sure 
but I'm on my way to heaven. I'm not sure I've received this invitation from Christ to come. I don't remember a time where I've put my faith in him personally. I've, I've always gone to church. I've always been religious, but I've never cried out to the Lord to save me. Could I pray for you today? I, I promise I'm not going to embarrass you and I'm not going to call out your name. Nobody's looking around. As a matter of fact, if anybody's here today and they know Jesus as their Savior, they're praying for you right now. Would you just slip up your hand and let me pray for you? I promise I'm not going to embarrass you. Is there one? I don't know about you, Christian, but when I go through those very simple doctrines about Christ has reconciled me, Christ has redeemed me, Christ has restored me, it just causes my heart to be thankful. Let's praise him today. Let's thank him today in prayer.